Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading today is taken from Colossians chapter 2, reading from verse 8 to 15, and this can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1183, 1183. Colossians 2, starting at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought into fullness. He is the head over every power and authority, In him you were also circumcised, with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our own legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Vanessa. Good morning, everyone. A quick health and safety notice here at Forward Church. We don't condone either the rollerblading behind or lying on top of moving minibuses. <laughs> and uh, no trainees were hurt in the making of the film. Uh, do keep your Bibles open at that reading. Church Bibles, it's page 1183 of Colossians 2. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word, and we thank you for your precious son. And we pray now for a deep work of your spirit in us, that we would be a people who cling on to him with great faith and confidence for the whole of our lives. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Growing up, we lived in a small town and there wasn't much to do in the town. In fact, the town wasn't near anywhere where there's much to do. And so I remember being desperate to pass my driving test because then I wouldn't have to rely on a parent to drive me everywhere. Looking back, I think my parents were also equally desperate for me to pass uh, my test as well. In so many areas of life, becoming independent is a good thing. For students, when you first move away from home, it it can be a bit scary to start with, but it's a good thing. It's part of growing up, learning to stand on our own two feet. Later on, that moment when we get the keys to our first house that we finally own, being able to to call a place our home, that's a good thing. Or maybe we start a new job and 
for the first few weeks, we have to ask for help when it comes to everything. We have no idea what to do. But we know we're starting to learn the ropes when we have to start asking people less often for help. In so many areas of life, becoming independent is a good thing. But when it comes to the Christian life, becoming independent is a disaster. And yet so many Christians fall into the trap of thinking that we need Jesus for the start of our Christian lives. But then as we grow up as Christians, we should expect to need him less and less. Matt's mentioned later on this evening, we're going to baptize nine people. We'll hear from 12 people about their faith in Christ. What a joy. But for those involved tonight, tomorrow morning, as they wake up, looking forward to the rest of their Christian life, how will they grow as Christians? Where does Jesus fit into their ongoing Christian lives. For many of us here today, perhaps we've been a Christian for many years. Is it possible that we've slipped into thinking that we need Jesus less now than when we first became Christians? The Colossian Christians had started out well in the Christian life. They were eager to grow And Paul's great appeal to them is summed up just before our reading. Look at Colossians 2, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. We know how plants grow. You pop them in some soil. You give them some sunlight, some water, some nutrients, And they grow. Well, Christians grow by remaining in Christ. But the Colossians are in danger. We come to our reading. Look at verse 8. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. We don't know what philosophy Paul was talking about. He doesn't tell us explicitly. But we do know from the end of verse 8 that it does not depend on Christ. It is some way of thinking, some offer of growth that sounds plausible, but is not based on Christ. We go through the rest of chapter 2. We find the Colossians are impressed by festivals and special days or by people who claim to have some amazing spiritual experience or by following rules. We'll get to verse 21. Do not taste, do not touch. Jesus is like a set of training wheels on a bicycle. A great help to get you going, but once you've got the hang of it, you can take the wheels off and you can go alone. Or at least that's the danger for the Colossians to think that way. And there are real spiritual forces at work here. Did you notice how Paul talks about the elemental spiritual forces back in verse 8? I think he's talking about evil forces, probably the rulers and authorities that he mentions in verse 10 and also in verse 15, who are clearly opposed to Jesus. 
the devil would love to persuade Christians that we can grow apart from Christ. And so Paul writes to persuade the Colossians and us that the way into the Christian life is also the way on. Our goal is not to become independent of Jesus, but to increasingly see our need to go on depending on him for a lifetime. Three points this morning. The first is this. In Christ, we have fullness. In Christ, we have fullness. Look at verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Uh, Yes, there may be lots of philosophies around. Indeed, there are these spiritual forces at work in the world. But what a reassurance this is. Jesus is not another philosophy. He's not just another spiritual force worth considering. No, in him, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The world is full of self-help books, tips on how to be better people, how to live our best life now, how to make the most of our potential. Everywhere around us, people are striving to find a thing that works for them in life. It's a bit like this bottle of elderflower cordial. I was trying to find an illustration that that would work for at the forward crowd. Imagine you, um, it's a hot and dry and thirsty day. Um, I'm just aware there's a bit of a disturbance at the back there. Um, we might just need to pause for a moment while um, someone gets some help. Um, why don't we just turn to the person next to us, just have a quick conversation, and uh, we'll, we'll carry on with the sermon in just a moment. Sorry to interrupt things. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for bearing with us. Um, I've just had a, you're all clear from me and one of our stewards that uh, I think we're okay to continue. Uh, thank you just for bearing with us. And uh, there's good help at hand, um, so we can rest assured. We're back to my uh, elderflower cordial. And um, <laughs> imagine it's a hot summer day, and uh, you've been out for a long walk, and you're, you're thirsty, and it's been dusty, and you're longing for a, a cool, crisp, refreshing drink. And I come to you saying, would you like some elderflower cordial? And you say, well, yes, I would rather like some cordial. And so you take the bottle from me, imagining the first sip of the, the warm, refreshing, fizzy drink. And so you go to open the bottle. And you open it. Well, it's basically empty. (laughs) I washed it out this morning, not quite well enough. It's it's hollow. It's deceptive. And the world is full of philosophies and traditions that offer us so much. They say you can grow and progress in life if you follow us. Hollow, deceptive offers. But in Christ, we have fullness. And it's no surprise, given what we've heard about Jesus in Colossians, back in chapter 1, we have found that Christ has made everything, sustains everything. He rules over everything. Everything is made for him in this life and in the next And so it's no surprise that when we come to him, there is fullness. To stick with Christ, we don't miss out. 
we gain all that we need in this life. There may be some here this morning who are new to Christian things and you're weighing up what you make of Jesus. I hope we can see that this offer of Christ is not a small thing. It's not a, an optional extra for a few people who want it. No, it's something that we all need. Fullness in Christ. I do want to just pause though for a moment and to think about something that many Christians get in a muddle over. Did you notice how Paul says in verse 10 that it is in Christ that we have this fullness? Or in verse 11, it is in him that we were circumcised. Or verse 12, we've been buried with him and raised with him. Verse 13, we've been made alive with Christ. To be in Christ or with Christ is the Apostle Paul's most common way of referring to how a Christian relates to Jesus. Over 200 times, that's how he describes us in the New Testament. But why does it matter? Why does Paul use this description? Well, imagine you, you want to catch a plane from Manchester Airport to Mallorca for a lovely beach holiday in the sun. What relationship to the plane do you need to get to Mallorca? Well, if you stand under the plane, it's not going to help you. If you try to run behind it or hold on to it, a bit like our trainees in the film, it's, it's not going to work. If you sit in the, de the departure lounge and watch the plane through the window and feel inspired by it, again, it's not going to help you. If you want to get to Mallorca, you have to be in the plane. And once you're in the plane, wherever the plane goes, so you go as well. The success of your journey doesn't rely on on us, it relies on the power, the design of the plane. And uh, I've nicked the illustration of uh, a Christian author, Rory Shiner, uh, in his little book, One Forever. And he goes on to say that a Christian is not simply a follower of Jesus or someone who submits to him, but we are also someone in him. We've been joined to him, and we get the blessings that come to us in Christ by being in that relationship, in him. Think of a marriage, a human marriage. Two become one. As they do so, all that they have, they give to each other. I've mentioned before when I married Lorna, my wife, she gained all my stuff, including my favorite stuffed toy piglet with its nose chewed off and my GCSE maths homework. I haven't got around to binning yet. But when we put our trust in Jesus, when we're joined to him, all of him becomes ours. We gain everything, fullness in Christ. It's wonderful news. Why would we want to move on from him? Paul wants to keep on persuading us to stick with Jesus. In Christ we have fullness, but second, in Christ we have new life. Look down at verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Now we need some context here. Paul's talking about how in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, God gave to his people this pattern of circumcision as a sign to mark them out from all the other peoples in the world around them. And without wanting to get too gruesome at this point, it was something done by human hands. But it was only a physical sign. 
But in Christ, a different kind of circumcision has taken place. Not the cutting off of a piece of skin, but rather, as verse 11 continues, your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. When Paul talks about flesh here, he's, he's not talking about our skin that we can see. He, he's talking about what controls our whole state of being, our emotions, our priorities, the things that we desire and crave for. It's our heart attitude which rebels against God, but that wants to throw him off of our lives. And no surgeon could cut that part of us away from us. You can't, it's not a lump of skin or an arm you can just take off from a human life. It is us, our whole self ruled by the flesh. Monkeypox has been in the news recently. Apparently, one of the symptoms is a severe rash. Of course, the rash itself isn't the cause of the problem. The problem is a virus. It doesn't work just to put a, a plaster over the rash so you can't see it and to think that you're fixed. No, the deeper issue is the virus that has taken over your body. And similarly, when we lose our temper, when we indulge in gossip, or we lie, or we, we fail to love our neighbors as ourselves. These are all symptoms of how the flesh has taken over our lives, controlling us. And on our own, we are dead. The flesh has won. It always has its way. But look at what it means to be in Christ. Verse 11 again. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. In Christ, we've undergone a surgery no human surgeon could perform, a spiritual heart surgery. Our whole self, ruled by the flesh, has been cut off in Christ. Now, this all sounds rather radical. When did it happen? Well, verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. We mentioned later on today how we're going to baptize uh, nine people. We're going to lower nine people down into the water and hopefully raise nine people back up again. <laughs> the water is just tap water. Nothing extraordinary about it apart from the fact that it is exceptionally cold if you've touched it. It's a physical sign, a visual aid that points to a deeper inner spiritual reality that happens through faith in Jesus. The moment we put our trust in Jesus, our old self is cut off, our old self dies, and a new life begins. Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Remember the airplane illustration. If we're in the plane, wherever the plane goes, we go too. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ really did die on a Roman cross. And three days later, he really did come back to new resurrection life. And somehow, by faith in Christ, we are joined to him such that 
his journey has become our journey. In Christ, we have new life. But I wonder if some of you are thinking, well, that sounds great, but you don't know me. If you knew what I was like away from a Sunday morning and saw the state of my heart and the sin that I still go on committing, it doesn't feel like I've been raised to new life. The preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones used the illustration of when the U.S. government declared the end of the institution of slavery in 1865. On one day, slavery was allowed, and then suddenly the next day, it was abolished. But imagine if you had been born into slavery, and all you had known for your whole life was being a slave. But then suddenly the day comes when slavery is no longer allowed. It's no longer in existence. You're free. But imagine the day after you're walking along the streets and you see your old slave master across the road and they shout out, Oi, come here. And you feel within your heart this instinctive need to respond in obedience to your old master because for years that's all you've known. But you're free. That is something of what is going on here in Colossians 2. In Christ, we have a new life. There's no doubt about that. We have been set free. Our old master no longer is control of us, but he's still around. We still hear his voice calling to us, Oi, come here, do my bidding, come my way. And our hearts so often respond by going back to living the old ways. And when that happens, what we need first and foremost is not a big dose of self-control, more willpower, and loads of rules and regulations. Now, what we need to remember is that in Christ, we have a new life. Christian growth is not about trying really hard to become someone that we are not. It is about becoming more and more the people we already are in Christ. Over the next few weeks, as we work our way through Colossians, we're going to see much more about this link between knowing that in Christ we are alive and ongoing growth in godliness. There is a crucial link. We'll see much more of it. But for now, Paul's big concern here in Colossians 2 is to persuade us that we would be crazy to walk away from Christ. In him, we have everything we need, fullness, a new life. And finally, our third point, in Christ, we have forgiveness. When I go shopping in Meadowhall, two things always seem to happen. First, I always seem to get filled with an intense desire to leave. (laughs) But I don't. And so the second thing that happens is about a month later, in the post, my credit card bill arrives. And on that bill, against my name, Pete Scammon, is a whole series of debts that I have occurred through my shopping at Meadowhall. 
You could say that, that the credit card bill stands against me, a record against me. Now, normally I can pay off those kinds of debts, but here in Colossians 2, Paul is talking about a different kind of debt that no one is rich enough in this room to pay off on our own. Verse 13. He forgave us our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In the first century, when the Romans crucified a criminal, they would write on a board above the cross a record of the crimes the person had committed, why they were dying on the cross. Paul takes that idea and says that there was a written charge nailed above Jesus as he died on the cross. But it wasn't his debt. He was perfect. It was ours. Every wrong thing we've ever done. In a room this size, that's a lot of debt. All the pride, the self Centeredness, the harsh words, the envy, the internet sites that we shouldn't have gone to but have, the prayerlessness, the lovelessness, the laziness, the thoughts, the words, the deeds. Imagine the whole great account of our whole lives, each one of us and together written above the head of Jesus, crying out guilt as he died in our place on the cross. In Christ, we have forgiveness. True of our past sin, our new life in Christ only made possible through forgiveness, but also true for every present, every future sin as well. We will go on listening to our old slave master at times. We will go back to our old ways. We will sin. And when we do, we need to remember this good news. Our present sin, our future sin, as well as our past sin, already paid for 2,000 years ago. And this means, verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The devil and his allies loves to condemn the Christian. And that accusation lands with great weight in our hearts because we do things wrong, don't we? We sin. And when we think that Christian growth is down to what we do, the do not touches, the do not tastes, the observing of principal days and festivals, when it's all down to us and we realize our guilt, he condemns us, we're undone. But in Christ, we have forgiveness. One of the reasons why I think Christians can often lack joy and confidence in the Christian life is that I think many of us feel like imposters. We turn up on a Sunday and we see lots of lovely, smiling Christians who all seem to have sorted lives. 
who all seem to be growing in godliness, defeating sin, and we look at our own lives and we're nowhere near that. And so we respond by, for an hour or so on a Sunday, putting on a veneer of godliness, also smiling, also projecting back that same image. But we go home knowing that the reality of the rest of the week is far different. The old sins that we thought we'd be beyond by now are still getting us. There are new sins that we never even knew about keep crowding in to grab us. And it can be very discouraging. Perhaps our response is just to work a bit harder on our public perception, hoping no one gets close enough to us to see the darker side of our lives. Perhaps we redouble our efforts to try even harder to do not touch, do not taste, hoping that somehow we'll be able to make ourselves more godly through our efforts. Or perhaps we feel like because of our sin, we've missed God's best for us. Plan A is gone. We're on to plan B or plan C, or to be honest, plan D, because frankly, we've messed it all up. But if that's how we feel, please know that if we've put our trust in Christ, tomorrow morning, as we wake up to a new day, no matter how we feel, in Christ, we have fullness. In Christ, we do have new life. And in Christ, we have complete forgiveness. Independence is not the goal, but rather a deeper, deeper reliance on Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, for the journey he made to death on the cross for our sin. We thank you also for the journey he made by your power to resurrection life. And Father, we thank you that he welcomes us in, to be in him, part of his great journey. And I pray, Father, you'd help us individually and as a church family to not budge one inch from him. And in his name we pray, amen.